This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Chris Trevino. We're going to recap USC's 43-42 heartbreaking loss down in Salt Lake City against the Utah Utes. Guys, what a, what a great college football game. I'm happy to be here back talking USC football with you guys. Both you went down to Salt Lake City. Tough loss for the Trojans. We're going to be recapping it here tonight. Yeah, it's going to be uh, should be a fun show. We're going to do some live calls, so if you want to call in, 512-4-TUNNEL. We're going to try to keep this one to an hour, if we can. That'd be great. Uh, we are live on YouTube, uh, so you can put your comments uh, in the YouTube chat room, and Jack can uh, pull them up there. If you have a question, put question. Jack can put them up at the screen a little bit later on in the show. We are still not live on Facebook yet. We've had some technical issues with that, so sorry about that. But we are live on Twitter as well. But Chris and I both flew back from the SLC Today we are much earlier than you. You were yeah you you were uh, you were at the airport really early. Chris did a uh, Helium Boys podcast with Shotgun Spratling, who was also there this weekend. I did my first Twitter Spaces in the uh, Salt Lake City airport. No emergency podcast. USC six and one. You know it's not sky's falling. It's not the end of the world. They didn't get dog walked by Utah. They lost no. by one in the final minute. Yeah. So close USC, game. USC wasn't trailing in the game until there was seconds left on the clock. So this is, if you're going to look at losses, this is about as ideal of one as you could get. One at the beginning of the season, you would have penciled in as a loss. But Jack and I were talking before. Should have changed the cold goalpost a little bit when USC comes out of the gate 6-0 and and looking really good. I was really impressed with the way the offense came out, um, scoring touchdowns on the first three drives. Obviously, the defense was... Herocious is a word we use on the podcast of champions. Uh, horrendous and atrocious. Herocious. They were herocious. Uh, but yes. So, I mean, but if you're going to look at the the grand scheme of things, to go from a 4-8 team to 6-1 team at the break with three very winnable games on the schedule, Arizona, Cal, uh, Colorado, and Cal, and then UCLA and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame just lost to a Stanford team that's really terrible. Um, this is looking up. I mean... I mean, nine and three, I think, would be the the basement for mm -hmm. this season, and ten and two seems very achievable, and even like an eleven and one type of run, which is from four and eight, that's a huge improvement. So I wouldn't say sky is falling after this one. You know, as far as losses go, I don't know. You couldn't have like drawn up like how you want to lose. Like this is probably how you would draw it up. 
yeah, I mean, you never want to lose a game, but yes, no. it's, it's the it's like the best loss you could have taken. Just a last second, a game you sort of trailed the entire, or excuse me, led the entire time in Rice Eccles, a place that is a sob to play in and yes. leave with a win in. You know, only one loss with fans in the stands over the last four years, and I've seen a lot of USC fans on my Twitter and on the boards. You know, some of them have taken you know that that sort of glass half full mentality where it's like, hey, this was supposed to be a loss when the schedule came out. Year one of Lincoln Riley, obviously Lincoln Riley has set the standard and the expectations so high yes. for year one, and they were matching that. And as you said, the goalposts got moved going into this game as a 6-0 and team, as a team firmly in the top 10. But this team very easily could have had one loss going into this game, that Oregon State game. You know, they, they escaped the jaws of uh, Corvallis with that win. So the goalposts could have been right where they started at the start of the season if, if they did not come out of there with a, with a win uh, against the Oregon State Beavers. But there they were, 6-0, and still an underdog in this game because, as we know, Rice Eccles, tough place to play. Great yeah. environment and probably the last time USC will play there. They had a blackout going. Yeah. But I've also seen USC fans that are just like, the season is over. Lincoln Riley is Clay Helton. You guys are dumb. <laughs> you don't. You don't deserve Lincoln Riley. I, I just like you guys are dumb, and there's probably some call in the like chat right now. Chris, I'm yeah. just. I'm just calling it like it is because you guys are dumb. <laughs> and I, I. I thought going to the show, I was going to make this point. I thought I was going to sugarcoat it, but no, you guys are dumb, and you guys don't deserve what this team has put forth so far. Yes, the defense struggled. Caleb Williams was awesome. The offense was awesome at times. And you said the the word, what was it, atrocious? Herocious. Herocious. But I just want to say, if a certain penalty doesn't go USC's way, they shut them out on three consecutive drives to start that game, get a pick, and possibly drive down and take a 21-0 lead. So the game ended for them herocious, but they started off really, really well they did start in off this well. game. The, probably the best start you could have asked for from both sides of the ball. And if USC takes that interception... There's no flag, and I'm sure we're going to talk about penalties. But if there's no penalty there, USC drives down and makes a 20-21-nothing, completely takes the fans out of this one. Who knows what happens? Who knows how many points that that defense gives up when it has that swagger and it has the blueprint, which is get up early, make a team have to pass on you or try to pick up chunk plays throughout the – I know it's still the first half, but you know, put them in a little bit of a pressure situation where you know this is a team that's – we know good at really good at turning, uh, getting turnovers. So who knows what would happen if that if that interception stands and what USC's offense is able to do with it? Maybe we're not talking about how bad the defense was, how amazing Dalton Kincaid was in yeah. in, in that game. But I don't know. This game was a coin flip essentially, where a lot of things could have gone either way. And I think there were multiple ways USC leaves that game with a win. But it's a one point loss. Season is not over. Clay Helton and Lincoln Riley are not the same. And yeah, there's a lot to build on. They have the bye week. They need a lot of things to, they need to readjust, re reassess, take the emotions of this loss and channel it into finishing out the season strong. And as we knew, the back half of the schedule, very, very, it sets up very nicely for them. Obviously that USC, UCLA game is going to be a big one, but USC still very much in the hunt for a Pac-12 championship and whatever happens after that. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, there's no, I mean, there's no moral victories in college football. Obviously, it's it's tough anytime you lose. But yeah, then again, if you said going at going into the bye week, USC was going to be six and one a year removed from being four and eight. I think everyone sitting here would have expected that and say like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And, and that might actually be on, you know, the good side of the spectrum for the, rain, the range of possibilities that could have happened. I know for these shows, we normally start on one side of the ball and then flip to the other. I think for a game like this, where there were so many key moments, let's start from the beginning and go to the end. Starting from the start, USC gets the ball first. They take it all the way. Caleb Williams with a big run, then Travis Dye with a touchdown. Then the defense gets a stop. Another USC touchdown. You look up, USC, after starting slow in some of their games, were up 14-0 on Utah at home and looked dominant. Yeah, I was looking at this game, and I thought, you know, I picked USC in this one. They did cover this break because they, you know, they only lost by one. But I thought they were going to win, and I thought there was a good chance that they were going to win by a couple of touchdowns. And it was looking like that early on, where I just felt like USC learned something because we were there in Corvallis and it just looked like, man, the offense was not ready to handle a tough environment. And this was going to be an even tougher environment. Plus there was the emotional aspects, you know, the number 22, the, it wasn't a white painted jerseys. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, this was, there was a lot, like if you remember like the Stanford game, like Stanford threw a lot into that game, like new offense, all this stuff, they kind of threw the kitchen sink at USC and USC still blew them out. Um, this was a thing, too, where I think Utah threw a lot at USC. And USC was essentially able to take the crowd out of the game. And you, you, know, you mentioned that could have, you know, should have been an interception that wasn't 21 nothing. I don't know if they're coming back from that. But, you know, keeping it within two scores all the time, that was uh, giving Utah some chances and everything. So, but yeah, coming out of the gate like that, Jack, that was what, that was the key I was looking for. And even the previous game, like, what were they going to do? Are they going to come out and score? on the first drive and they did. And this one scoring your first three drives has sort of been, I think four or five of the, uh, I think five of the seven games, USC scored the first three times they've had the ball. Um, Stanford, they scored like five times in a row, but you know, Oregon state, they didn't. And then uh, I think it was maybe Washington state, maybe the, like they scored once, but not. Yeah. Um, so to come out against the Utah team, I mean, it didn't look like they were getting a lot of resistance, but Lincoln and Riley talked about this afterwards. You had to over, there was a lot of things you had to kind of overcome in this game. You know, officiating was one, the environment, all that kind of stuff. But the the initial, what I saw, the initial what I saw was uh, positive because they came out and were scoring. And they were, they didn't look like the, the noise was going to impact them that much where, yes, you're going to get a false start every once in a while. But there was, um, you know, and they were even changing plays at the line. I thought they did it a lot, and I was like, man, I don't think you want to be doing that, but it was working. It you looked know? completely different from what we saw at yeah. Corvallis, where it was like they were trying to change a play with like five seconds left. Here, yes. they had like an extra, at least six seconds to get a play in, and they looked so much more comfortable. Yeah. Caleb Williams looked so much more comfortable. It still looked a little bit like a fire drill because you're like, it's a crazy environment, yeah. but they were doing it earlier in the snap count, and I think that's maybe one of the things they corrected. Um, from the, the but I anyway I thought they were going to do better against the noise they did the fact that the offense was like clicking and moving and they were scoring um, you felt really good about this I mean the way they played I think if you come out and play this game like ten times you're probably going to win eight or nine of them I mean, they, a lot of things had to go wrong for USC to kind of lose this game the way they were playing and some things did go wrong lots and, of things and, and, yeah. lots of things and you're right I you you picked USC I picked Utah. They didn't cover, obviously. So no, I I, uh, I, did, I get the glory of picking Utah, but I don't even get the point for it. So you're 
Congratulations, you're in first place. First place uh, in the Pickums. But I, you were confident they were going to be able to handle the noise better this time. I thought they would too, but I wasn't like as sure as you. I was like, I don't know. Rice Eccles, super loud, so much emotion. I did not know how they was going to handle it. And then right off the bat, early on, I saw like, okay, this team prepped much better than Corvallis. They learned a lot from that environment and uh, that situation. And they took that and they applied it because that's good coaching. Yep. And and you saw a completely different offense uh, in Salt Lake City. And they were just going, going, going. From that first you know 55-yard run by Caleb Williams, it was like, okay, Caleb came to play. This offense came to play. I even tweeted it. The offense came to Salt Lake City to play. And the defense essentially came a little bit early too until – you know, that flag and then sort of everything kind of changed. Yeah, that, that did change a lot. Um, and I don't know, we can talk about the officiating. I was messaging with some other like uh, more national uh, sports writers kind of about the game. But if you were listening to different recaps, uh, like I was listening to the Audible and the officiating came up, you know, there wasn't a, a they weren't um, saying that it was like biased against USC. They were saying it was terrible. And my initial, my feeling when I was in the press box, and I said this on the Twitter spaces, was it felt like there was some sort of, it was like going against USC. I think there were competent calls, like the Pac-12, on both sides. I was talking to John Canzano, who does a great job covering the Pac-12, and the way he described it was the referees sort of talked themselves in circles, like they kind of got themselves into trouble by talking, trying to talk through things, and they kept talking and talking. You're like, where are you going with this? Like they just, they were too involved, which was a huge problem. There were really terrible calls. Even when, you know, USC getting extra time on that final drive. I know Utah fans were complaining about that. It didn't end up at any points. But, yes, that was a problem, too. The The biggest issue was that USC was really having a hard time getting stops. And twice when they did get stops, one of them being an interception, like literally taking the ball away, not even a chance for a field goal, the referees took that away. So they were more damaging. They were missed holding calls, like all over people. Are, oh, there was Miss Holocall here. The holding happens on every every play. play. Like you could call that all over the place. Um, you know, they, someone sent me a picture of holding on Cam Rising's, you know, game winning touchdown run. Like there was, you know, being held. Like, yes, like there if you're gonna say, well, this could have been holding, well, you know, everyone you say that USC held, you could find a Utah one. These are, you know, negating a play that already happened that was a you know, an interception. I get it. Like the plays that went against USC were the most devastating, you know, leading directly to 14 points uh, for Utah. I don't think this was a, a Pac-12 job where they're trying to screw over USC. I mean, there, were, there was part of me that felt like that could have been a thing, and I know a lot of USC fans do. I just think it was incompetent that sort of didn't go. There's always been incompetence. But if you you watch, and I think uh, Kegs and Eggs had a, had a funny tweet about something like, I know every conference complains about their officials and they all suck, because, but there's something about the Pac-12 officials that seems like they're on acid all the time or something like that, like, paraphrasing what he was saying. So there is definitely a national, when people are talking about this game nationally, they're talking about how bad the officiating was. I don't know if anything's going to happen. Probably not. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked to some of the Pac-12 guys. You know what's going to happen when UCLA goes to Oregon? Are they going to get the same sort of treatment or whatever? Uh, you know the LA schools that are leaving is a Pac-12. You know I'm curious. UCLA might get better treatment because they might be like, look, we can't do this again to a LA school. It's going to look bad. You know, um, so I'm curious to see what what happens when USC is on the bye week. But yes, the officiating was atrocious. I think the problem is that they, the officiating took over the game. 
which isn't what you want when you have two ranked teams playing each other, the only two ranked teams in the Pac-12 playing each other that weekend. You don't want the officiating dominating everything. And it did impact the outcome. So you don't want that. And I know, you know, Lincoln Riley said, uh, you know, the officiating was poor, but we could, you know, we should have still won the game. I agree with that. USC could have done 10 things in their power. Like one, you fix one thing, one of 10 that they have control over. They could have done better or done, you know, one play, right? They win the game. So there was a lot of ways USC could have done it themselves, but the way the officials did it also changed the outcome of the game too. So that's uh, that's unfortunate, but that's that's kind of life in the Pac-12, and that's part of the reason why you're leaving. That's Yeah, that's their really big mistake was putting it in the hands of the ref to be the ones to decide the outcome for them Yeah, and not putting it in their hands to execute on this or execute on that. And like you said, if there's one thing they execute here or there, they win this game and they, they leave there with the, the win. So it was taking it out of their own hands and control and putting it into the hands of the ref. And that's what you never want. I think we, we asked, uh, I think Figueroa about this after he said, and it's, it's, he gave a pretty straight answer, quick answers, like never should have been in position for them to make that call. Like don't, don't give them the opportunity to make that call. And that was yeah. kind of the message that he had. And, yeah, it, it sucks for USC fans that that's kind of the main one of the main storylines we're talking about. But we've seen this comment a lot, is uh, especially on Saturday night. Was in, in all my mentions, I'm sure in yours, like I'm so happy we're leaving this trash conference. Yes. Or I'm so happy we're getting away from the Pac-12 officiating. But I just want to make a point: there is still bad officiating in every conference. Right. I think the one thing is you watch like the Tennessee uh, Alabama game was you know taking all the headlines. I mean that was a huge game. There's different. The officiating is different. Enough. Like they let they let them play. targeting go. Like they they're like play. that. That should have been targeting. Like I mean, they wouldn't have called the ones that went against USC, but they wouldn't have called even worse ones. So I would rather see less flags than more. And a lot of times you look at, well, that does look like PI. And that yes, if you want to call, I just don't think you want to call everything. And the Pac-12 does that, you know, and then some. And that's I think you want to get away from it because it, the the game ends up being ruled by officials. And not by the players on the field. Um, and that and Alabama had like 130 yards and penalties in that game. They had a whole bunch. The Alabama fans are just as angry as USC fans. Uh, they didn't like the today, way that yeah. was going. Yeah, but you and I and usually you're not seeing Alabama get. I don't know if they got jobs. I didn't get to watch that too closely. But you don't usually see that. They're not. You know, they're kind of protecting the brands. Unfortunately, and this goes back. I mean, if you know the the Pete Carroll era, there were years which you know, like you you talk to like people that were statistical, um, you know. Uh, you know, experts. The there was a couple years where USC was not only the most penalized team, so they're the best team. They were dominating. They were the most penalized team, and every one of USC USC's opponents were the least penalized team. And you talk to people that know statistics, like that's a statistical impossibility. That is the referees trying to make even things out a little bit. Like we're not going to call. Well, we're not going to call Arizona for holding because you know USC's too good. Like that kind of stuff was going on. I don't know if that's going on now, but that definitely there was numbers to prove it back then. I don't know about this. This is just seems like more incompetence than anything, and uh, you know that's just the way the Pac-12 is. That I like George Klyovkov. He mentioned a lot of the Pac-12 problems coming in, and was taking them all head on. The one thing he didn't embrace was like the officiating is crap. He didn't come out and say, you know what, our officiating has been terrible. Everyone's been talking about it. There's memes all over Twitter. He didn't embrace that. Like he didn't embrace that as one of the problems when we were talking to him. So I don't know if he will now, if it's just one of those things. But if, I thought the Pac-12 refereeing would get better. They would at least like, hey, back off. Don't call everything. 
they're still calling everything. And one of the, I mean, we're seeing all across football, whether it's college football level, Pac-12, or out of the Pac-12, or even in the NFL, that like roughing the passer is the one that referees just don't know how to to do. I mean, every, it seems like, time a quarterback gets hit, it's been roughing the passer, whether it's Tom Brady or it's Cam Rising. So that one, that one is difficult. I think the difference, the thing that separates the Pac-12 refs, refs is all the other incompetence. They never know how to set the clock, that the chains are wrong, it's, they don't know how much time to add back. It's There's just a lot of stuff that's like, this stuff doesn't happen. The third quarter doesn't need to take an hour and a half because each play there's a flag and each play you're resetting the clock and trying to figure out what down it is and trying to remember the rules. Is like that's where the incompetence two weeks in a row almost has has kind of rung true to me is that there's just there's things that that shouldn't be happening hiccups in the game that make that give teams time to think or, or makes the game just take even longer it's like this doesn't happen when you're facing when it's Alabama Tennessee like the game does not take this long because of the officials talking shotgun pointed out just a funny note and he talked about it in our helium boys podcast that every time the I guess it was the white cap that would review plays he would put on glasses yes that was funny and then he would take them off when he would ref in the field so does that mean he was blind out in the field no it likely means that he's he, nearsighted, he's nearsighted or, whatever. or whatever but still still a funny image yeah that goes it, perfectly with the pac-12 officiating it, uh refdom yeah and that, that was a good point jack that it's just like when you don't know what this procedure is and you're stopping plays like i don't even know what was going on you know usc's trying to drive at the end and they throw you know, you throw an interception and there's PI. Okay, the interception comes back, but the play continues on, and there was only eight seconds left. And I'm looking. I one of the reporters next to me. I'm like, "There's only eight seconds left. Like the 15 yards doesn't matter. Like that's a good play. If you're Utah, you intercept the ball and run all over the place and waste the time. You don't get the time back. They don't take the play away. Um, at, at least my understanding of it. And they were like, well, they stopped the play with a timeout in the middle. Like there was just stuff. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. That didn't have an impact on the game because USC didn't score, but. There was stuff like that that just shows like they don't know what they're doing. Um, the way, you know, they're coming out and they're reviewing this and calling targeting for everything. And it's just, it's a lot. And uh, I, I wish the Pac-12 would do something about it. I was hopeful that they would going into the season. They still haven't. So if you're a USC or UCLA fan, you're like, all right, we can you know leave this clown show and you guys figure it out later on. And you can complain about Big, Big Ten refs, but... You just don't see as many flags in Big Ten games as, and I think for your team like USC, when you're more talented, you'd rather just let the players play. And if there's a PI that doesn't get called, or a hole that doesn't get called, or a you know roughing the passer that doesn't get called, that's better for you than if they're just calling everything, which kind of like evens things out sometimes. And you know, Utah had two yards of penalties in the first half, so that was uh, there's one of the things they weren't getting flags. You know, was was there no never any holding? Was there never any? PI, anything like that. I mean, I doubt it, but they weren't throwing any flags <laughs> against the Utes. And uh, I know USC fans kind of noticed that. And then it got even, you know, they were throwing more flags in the second half, but it obviously got worse with the, the way they were calling it and, and kind of taking some of the plays from USC away. Quick side question. Do you think Lincoln's going to get fined? I, you know, I don't know the, the rules. I need to go look, but I would think so. I don't think you can openly say um, that, you know, and I, I thought he did it. I thought he did it as good as you could do it. I and mean, he can afford a, a fine, but he made his point. Like, the refereeing was poor. Like, the officiating was poor. But that's not why we lost. You at, know, and that was a good way to put it. At Probably, like, in the fourth quarter, he had, like, an intern go run and get money out of the ATM. Get him his car back here. <laughs> I got it. I would have just put it on the table and then just went off. And that was the coach speak for saying the refs – effing sucked yes that was the nicest way like you said the nicest way you could have put it but that was coach speak for like you guys 
effing sucked. Yeah. Like, I think you'd say at the the one end, it was they were highly incompetent. Like, that's where you probably are living. Could you push it to there was a bias and there was a an effort to thwart USC? I mean, I don't I, – what I said on the Twitter spaces is you have to give the officials more credit than – if, if they were going to be biased, if they were going to try to impact the outcome of the game, that takes a certain level of skill. Like you would have to be good at your job, which we know that they are not. So I think you're giving the referees a lot of credit if you think that they were actually trying to help one team over the other. Because I think the level of incompetence it was like, it's just, I don't think they're good enough to be able to do that. It would take some effort and some skill to be able to try to, you know, steer the, the outcome of the game one way or another. Well, and, and Lincoln Riley wasn't wrong. I mean, we've been talking about officiating for a while, and it, it's a, the topic that I think SC fans are going to talk about for a while because they're now 6-1, and one, not 7-0, and oh, and a lot of people think that officiating was the reason why. There were other reasons. USC couldn't cover Dalton Kincaid. USC didn't really play much defense. They stopped the run well, but they couldn't tackle Cam Rising. They couldn't make plays. They couldn't get a pass rush with no sacks despite coming into the game leading the nation in sacks. So maybe we can get into that because officiating was you know, a big reason why USC was wasn't able to get out to as big of a lead, and there were some moments where it gave Utah some breath. But at the same time, it's not the exa the only reason that USC lost to Utah last night. No, you mentioned like Dalton Kincaid is like the second best tight end on Utah's roster. Like Brent Keefe was the best one. He's out with an injury. Kincaid, they ended up amending. He was catching passes today, um, which is crazy when you think about it. Like the game was over yesterday. He's still catching passes. They uh, they amended the stats. So they somehow screwed up and didn't give him his 16th catch. But 16 catches, Pac-12 record uh, for tight ends. 200, I believe, 34 or 237 yards, something like that. They, they they made an amendment. He had 16 targets and caught every single one, 16 catches. That's insane. Uh, you know, over 230 yards, a touchdown, over 100 yards uh, running after the catch. And, you know, Lincoln Riley was asked about it. And, you know, so they tried some different coverages. He said that this was their worst tackling game, which I, I would agree with. They gave up too much. Um, but, man, you can't let him catch – you can't let 16 balls go to the tight end and let him catch every one of them. At some point, you just have to say, I don't give a crap. who Like, whoever hurts me, I am not letting him – he's not stopping. You know, we're not letting him catch the ball on this one. Um, you got to do something. And I don't, I don't agree with – you know, with uh, what he was saying. We didn't get to talk to Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator. I'm sure he's not really happy about this one. But, yeah, that was one of those things where you cannot let a tight end go for, you know, that's like a half a season's worth of production for a tight end, and it was in one evening Six, in Salt Lake City. 16 for 234 is probably more from Kincaid in one night than maybe – it's definitely more than every tight end on the USC's roster right now. Through seven of, games, through yeah. seven games, and probably the last five years, if you just added up all the tight end receptions and catches for USC tight ends, it's probably beats all those over a twelve game season. Yeah, that's how ridiculous that. Yeah, and he's like Travis Kelsey, <laughs> right? Like, it, at that point, it was like just give him the Mackey Award after this. Uh, yeah, just give him the the call the Kincaid Award after that. Like you can't like that's that's something that's in your control. Um, I'd rather talk about that because that's that is god awful. Um, that's just terrible. You cannot let something like that happen. And uh, it wasn't even like giant plays down the field. It was just like he was cutting him up with like little dinks over the middle for like eight yards, ten yards, twelve yards. He had a they thirty yarder. That was the the longest yeah. one. You just, had two hundred and thirty something yards, 
and your longest catch was 30. Like, uh, think about that. There's no 75-yarder in there. There's none of that. And 100-plus after the catch. I mean, yeah. it seemed like, especially against Utah, a team that didn't have a lot of weapons, it was Vele and it was Kincaid. You kind of knew that was going to happen. They didn't even try and run the ball. So that's it, it kind of just seemed like they were only going to do one thing. And the entire game, they, they had their way with it. They had every little dink and dunk pass they wanted. They had that one deep ball when Kalen Bullock misplayed uh, the deep post. But other than that... It didn't seem like USC's defense was creeping up to cover Kincaid. It didn't seem like there were a whole ton of adjustments. I mean, you guys were there. I was just watching on TV. But it didn't seem like there were a lot of adjustments coming from Alex Grinch and the USC defense because every time Kincaid could spot up, he had a kind of a, a, a perfect release off the line every time, wasn't getting chipped or, or, or hit by an edge rusher. And there weren't two guys on him. It just seemed like every time that they wanted to throw to Kincaid, he was able to settle there for five yards, and USC couldn't tackle him after that. So I was surprised that they really didn't make very many adjustments, as it seemed uh, from from my viewing. I was just a little surprised by that. I think when you're living by the big play on defense, and you're not getting them, you're going to have problems. I think the, the one tackle for loss was in the first quarter, and it might have been on one of the drives that didn't result in points. Uh, I don't remember. I have to go back and look, but... When Utah does not have a lot of penalties, uh, you know, two yards of penalties in the first half alone, and only one tackle for a loss, you're never behind the sticks. You're never going to be. So you can take something away. You weren't really taking much away. They did a pretty good job, you know, stopping the run. That's good. I mean, that was a, a big improvement. But, man, they just were letting too many, you know, guys get open in the flat or wherever, and then not being able to bring the bring the noise and, and tackle them and, and stop the stop the play. So I think not forcing those negative plays that you were sort of relying on changes the outlook of everything. And it allows, you know, when when we saw Washington State get their two touchdown drives, those were drives where USC wasn't getting the pressure. They weren't getting the tackles for a loss. And Washington State was able to pick up six, seven, eight yards on first down. And that's going to help you move the chain. And this was what Utah was doing all night. When you're never getting those negative plays, you couldn't get them behind the sticks. And that, you know, it showed. And USC didn't show the ability to get the stop if they weren't, you know, mixing in some sacks or some big, you know, tackles for loss in, in some of those drives. And I, I would give a little bit of credit to Cam Rising, too. You know, it's a veteran quarterback. He was getting the ball out quick. So it wasn't yeah. like the, the USC pass rush had much of a chance. Tuli Dupelotu or Nick Figueroa or any of those guys to really kind of get him. And he's a mobile quarterback, so we can get out of there. We knew, we knew that coming in, and I believe he had three rushing touchdowns in, the, in this game. So, you know, his his mobility obviously helps when you're, you're going up against a, a good pass rushing team, but yeah. just no consistency in terms of getting to him or making him feel that uncomfortable. And like I said, just be able to get the ball out quick, 86 right there. Dink him, dink him, dink him down. Get them, get them the ball, and just move the move the chains whenever they needed it. Was going to Dalton Kincaid. It just seemed like there was a lot of cushion for him, and just like anyone that tried to cover him, just like he was just wide open every time. And I, I was talking to this about shotguns, like maybe they tried to throw somebody else in there on him. Maybe I was thinking more like Latrell McCutcheon, kind of a longer cornerback. Um, I know Rajon Davis. You know he's young, but that guy plays like a safety, and he's very good in coverage. Maybe they could have gone to him, but it's obviously. A tough environment on the road in a tight game you know how much you really want to throw in a young young guy like that so it, it, it was just in a tough spot to try to figure out how to do do anything and when we talk to Grinch we're gonna have to ask him about the he's probably gonna have nightmares about Don Kincaid yeah I mean how could you not USC fans well Cameron Ryzen did have in no sacks but he had 11 runs for <laughs> 60 yards and three touchdowns 
and we haven't mentioned like Caleb Williams a lot. He was a Superman in this one. Um, he's credited with uh, eight carries. He gained 97 yards. He had a 55 yarder in the first quarter. That was amazing. He had 97 yards gained. Now he lost 40 of those on sacks. It was like a 20 yard sack, and then a couple sacks, other yeah. ones. Uh, sack four times, right? Yeah. So, but he actually ran for. I mean, he almost had 100 yard rushing just when he was running the ball, uh, which is pretty impressive. 381 yards passing, five touchdowns through the air. Some, you know, a couple of spin moves. He hit that circle button or whatever it was. That, you know, and beautiful. It was crazy. Some of the stuff he was able to do that. The lofted pass to Tamara Williams over the shoulder. Like there were some Willie Mays catch. Yeah. Willie amazing plays by Caleb Williams. And he was so emotional after the game and uh so much heart. And I think the the team, the players themselves showed a ton of that. So I just want to make sure we mention Caleb Williams because he was an absolute warrior out there. You had, you know, Jordan Addison go over hundred yards, Mario Williams go over hundred yards. Uh they didn't get enough carries for um Travis Dye for sure, but you know, when you get 500-something yards of offense and score 42 points. Like, I'm not going to nitpick what you didn't do right on offense. The defensive problem, you know, that's the, the problem was on the defensive side of the ball. But, yeah, Caleb Williams, absolute baller out there. I, that's why I was saying, you know, it's, it's a one-point loss in a game USC was favored to lose. I definitely came away with a lot of positive, I, I guess, takeaways from the game for USC where they weren't as influenced by a tough road environment. They did come out strong and had energy from the start. The offense, I mean, it pretty much – played perfectly they they went 0 for 2 on fourth down they weren't able to capitalize on a turnover that Eric Gentry forced to we haven't even mentioned the fact that he went down with an injury which definitely didn't help USC when Cam Rising and Dalton Kincaid were going off but and Caleb Williams I thought played his best game of the season five touchdowns through the air he had what like 360 something yards with 100 on the ground so I, I think Caleb Williams was at his best Jordan Addison was was very good before he went down with an unfortunate injury Mario Williams at his best you got Josh Follow with two touchdowns Michael Jackson Jackson getting in the game, he has a touchdown. Like I have no questions about this offense. If you put up 40 points, you should win, which is why I think you know we've been talking about the defense so much because USC did put up 42 and they did end up losing. Yeah, props to Kyron Hudson who had a nice touchdown. Michael Jackson's touchdown was great. I think there was a third and eight, and most of that was yards after the catch. You're like Michael Jackson just caught a touchdown in a key moment in the game. Like that's great. And then Josh Follow with a couple of them. Uh, that, I think one was the spin that he found him in the back of the end zone, I believe so. Or maybe that was Hudson. And then uh, the other one kind of lofted it up and let him run all the way in. That was pretty cool. So, like, some great – you'd love to see that. you love to see the contributions from guys that maybe don't do as much. Last time follow caught a pass was in 2019. So Shotgun asked about that at the end of the press conference. You know, ended kind of on a high note. And Caleb was the first to jump in. The question was for Lincoln, but he was like, it was great. It was awesome. And they gave a lot of love to those guys to see guys step up. And, again – that's coaching, Ryan. That's guys stepping up, making plays when other people go down, or where you need somebody to make a play. And you know, if you know USC closes out that game, we're here talking about Michael Jackson and just that moment for him, because that's a guy who was injured for most of the season in camp and, and such, and, and recently came back within the last month and has been kind of a special teams guy. Did a couple of punts, but hasn't really done anything. But to be in that position and make that play in that moment, the biggest catch of his career was was awesome and you know you saw cj williams get some clutch playing time the yeah. freshman kyle ford was out there a lot so just all over you were getting contributions from guys that you know aren't the headliners like addison or a brendan rice or mario williams yeah if you're like a defender and you're like okay that guy doesn't have a career catch and like oh he just caught a touchdown on us like that's gonna you're not probably gonna cover him as hard as an addison and jack mentioned it yes we don't have an update on uh, lincoln riley was asked about jordan addison and eric gentry both 
came back to the game, you know, came back to the field in street clothes, uh, both with noticeable limps. Um, so we'll have to get an update probably on Tuesday, maybe uh, during Trojans Live. If they do one on Monday, I assume they will. Maybe Lincoln Riley have given an update then. He hasn't been giving updates on injuries, I think, during that. But um, those are two big ones because Eric Gentry is your leading tackler. He forced the fumble, the only turnover uh, of the game. I think he had nine tackles in the game, and Addison was your leading receiver. Um, you know, one of the best players on the team. Both of those guys, uh, you know, their contributions will be missed if they're going to miss any time. The UFC goes to the bye week. Maybe, you know, their minor injuries and they'll be able to come back. We'll have to wait and see. But those are two, um, you know, two key spots that you don't want to lose somebody, especially, I think, at the linebacker spot because we just haven't seen anyone step up and not be – we've seen liabilities at that line, you know, from some of the play of the linebackers. But Eric Gentry has been one of those guys that's just like he's steady. You lose your one steady linebacker that you could count on. I think that could be a real problem for this defense that just gave up a million yards to Utah. And it's not – an official injury update, but I did ask Nick Figueroa about, you know, seeing kind of their emotional leader go down and kind of, you know, still do everything he could to go out there and kind of pump them up. You know, the, the clip that's on uh, social media of him, like limping, jogging out to, yeah, like to fire, hopping, the, ho hobbling <laughs> out there. And he kind of made it seem like Gentry would be fine. Um, you know, obviously that's not an injury update from him, but he kind of made it sound like, Gentry be okay, that he'd be fine. So we'll we'll see how that that plays out. But just so much heart from number from number uh, from the angry giraffe. Yeah, number eighteen. And, number eighteen. And you need him. You need him out there. Yep. Uh, and let's. We've talked about the beginning of the game. We've talked about the middle. Some of the other big key points. Let's get to the end of the game because you got to give a lot of credit to Utah, not only for getting the ball, driving down the field with a chance to score and tie the game, but Kyle Whittingham wanted to go for the win. He wanted to do so. I think it was all the way back in 2019 as well in the Coliseum. That one worked out for the Trojans. This one, not so much. Cam Rising scores on a rushing touchdown on fourth down then also scores on the rushing two-point conversion to put uh, Utah up by one. It's kind of that point where you're like, the USC's defense needs a big play here. Fourth, fourth down he scores, and then he's going to the goal line. USC misses a couple tackles, and Cam Rising's in. And after that, there was a lot of chaos that ensued, but it would have been very hard for USC to go down and score. Some decisions baked into there with timeout. So what were your guys' thoughts about just the end of the game and how Utah won it? Yeah, Chris is on the field for the whole game. I came down for the last five minutes, so I was there um, watching Utah. And, you know, at that point, Utah wasn't getting stopped. Like, we knew... But I, USC's up by a touchdown. Uh, you had the Michael Jackson touchdown catch that was big on third and eight. So they weren't going to get a you – know, USC kicks a field goal, you know, you can lose it with a, a touchdown. But you go, you score a touchdown, and all you could, you, Utah could do a tie it or, like, they, they could go for two. But there was enough time. USC had their timeouts, and it was, it was going to be hard for Utah to take all the time off the clock. So once USC – once Utah got to first and goal – I thought they should start calling timeouts. Like, is, this isn't hindsight. This isn't – and I get – you're like, well, if you stop them and then you don't have any timeouts, you might have to punt or whatever. Like, USC's off. USC's offense was the best thing on the field. You would rather get the ball into the offensive hands. So, Lincoln Riley was asked about the timeouts and said it was a, you know, a kind of a 50-50 call, I believe. He said something like right that. Right on the edge. Right on the edge. Um, to me, it was – I mean, he's way smarter than me about football. Being, being on the field, the feel I had from the game, watching the press box, being on the field – there was no way I wouldn't have called timeouts and given Caleb Williams time. Like the worst you could do, and I, you know I brought this up on Twitter as well. That say USC does call timeouts, and then you know when Utah scores, you have more than a minute left instead of 
30 seconds or 40 seconds or whatever it was. You got a minute and a half or a minute 20. Does Kyle Whittingham go for two? Now, a lot of people were saying, oh, he'd definitely go for two. He'd go for two. But when you have that much time left, now USC is going to have to score. So if you get two, USC has to score. So say it's fourth and 10 from USC's 25. USC would punt if it was tied. But now you're going to USC is going to go for it every time. Like you've you've forced USC's hand. Do you want to do that? Do you want to give this USC offense that much time and always going to be a free to go four downs because there's nothing to lose? So I think there's a chance that Whittingham wouldn't have gone for two if there was more time left on the clock. This is not hindsight. This is what I thought when I was on the field. I can't remember the reporter I was talking to. I'm like, they should be calling timeouts. We're both like, they should be calling timeouts. Um, I think most of the people that were on the sidelines kind of felt the same way. You know, it's a crazy game. The environment's nuts. And, you know, if I think not just because of the results. I think if Lincoln Riley had to do it again, he would probably call the timeouts. But he had some confidence that USC could get a stop when all of us that had been watching the whole second half was like, there's no way they're going to get a stop. So that's just my thoughts. But, you know. But you didn't even feel like a a twinge of them being able to do it because we've seen them do it. They they held it a fourth and one on that. Incredible tackle by Tuasivi Nomura. That was a. I filmed that with my camera, it was my, my phone. Yeah, there was a twinge for me. Like maybe they'll do it. Maybe they'll. That be just some... took more time. That was like the worst thing that could have happened. It I mean, just took more time. Yeah, for I, I understand, but it's it's like football. It's crazy things happen. And he said he went with his gut. And USC, uh, not USC, but head football coaches are weird creatures, and they're creatures of like they have this yeah. confidence and. Borderline arrogance at sometimes. I'm not saying that was arrogance on his part. I'm just saying like they they have their beliefs and they stick to them at times. So if that was his belief, that's what he went with. Should have called the timeouts probably, but you know I can't sit here and act like I've been in the situation where I have fifty thousand people screaming at me and yeah. you're you have to decide all these these decisions on the spot. So the largest crowd in Rice Eccles history. So I mean that was another thing that you're sort of going against and you don't want to be like people are nitpicking like oh, you should have done this you should have done that like if you said well they should have done this more like would you have had as much success as you did like you're, you're making decisions along the way this was just a a clock management decision at the end of the game the way the game was flowing i you know instantly felt you should be calling timeout why aren't they calling timeout why are they waiting you know um and it was they had confidence in the defense making a stop and they didn't cowboys uh, scored sorry are you a cowboys fan yeah Nice. And just to say, they don't get that holding call on the kick return. Plenty of time, Ryan. I don't Plenty like. Okay, USC did a really good job on special teams uh, in the Washington State game. It kind of got back to penalties, return. Like Rayleigh Brown returned a ball in the end zone where he sort of it was like the slow mesh. He sort of was like thinking about it and then returning. He only got to like the fifteen or something. Like it was one of those things that you get at the five or six and you want to return it. Fine. If it's in the end zone, just down it. You know, you have not shown, uh, they had one good return, um, but they, there was too many negative ones. And in a game that everything was close, you couldn't afford to have those negative plays in the special teams. And there was a big one at the end. But then he made the play. But then he played. He no, made the play. it was, it was a penalty. Like you didn't make the play. Like that's the, the special teams were probably it. Someone was complaining about the kick, like uh punting. I'm like, Sleep Dalton did a really nice job. He had that one fifty-something yarder. He had a forty-nine he yarder twice. Yeah, he had a forty-nine yarder with no return, and then one was over fifty uh, that looked like there was a block in the back or something on, and that or I don't know, but it, and uh, but it was a big return uh, for Utah. But yeah, I don't think the punting was a problem. They you know they did have a problem covering one of those punts. Uh, you know, it was a deep kick, but you can't. 
the kickoff return thing is still a problem. Like if you got, I mean, last week they were returning them and they were getting out past 25. That one that where you hesitated in your own end zone, like you cannot do that. Like that, I would have been like, you're not returning kicks anymore. Like, I'm sorry. Like that you can't think about it in the end zone and then return it. You only get it out to like the 15. That was just, they're not blocking well enough. You can't do something like that. And you really are putting the offense in a hole. They ended up blocking a little bit too well, but yeah. I mean, I, like I, I, I'm, I was with you the other day where, where you were talking about just let everything go for, for a touchback. But then again, they did show some explosiveness in the returns. And Relique Brown did have that good one. You think back to the USC-UCLA game just a couple years ago where you, I'm, I remember watching them kick to Gary Bryant. And I'm like, he should not return this right now. And he ends up returning it like all the way into UCLA territory and USC wins the game late. So I get it. At the same time, you're wasting a lot of... Of, of clock well that was the problem with with me for the relief brown one is like yes you wasted 10 seconds that could be two offensive plays with caleb williams and mario williams and you ended up seeing that at the end that maybe if they had a little bit more time they wouldn't need to go all out on that one play but there's a lot of things that went into the end of the game i mean at the end of the day usc lost by, by one point on the road it, it is a tough loss and there's a lot of things i think that if usc could go back and redo they would but at the same time the defense didn't play quite well enough for a win uh, the offense played very well, but just 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 wasn't wasn't enough on, in a tough road environment. So USC six and one, as we mentioned before. I think that any USC fan, uh, player, or coach, if you told them they were going to be six and one going into the bye, yeah. I think they think that's on the good side of the spectrum. For sure. I realize my argument doesn't make sense because it wasn't official, but he got past midfield. That's what I'm saying. He got a 48 yard return. Yeah, but you I don't also... think he. I don't think he got all the way to midfield. Really, 48 no. yards. He freshman made the biggest play. We'd be talking about that if they if they didn't have the hold. And even if the hold happens, he gets what forty five yards as opposed to the extra whatever yards he got out of that. We, we'd be talking about Relique Brown being a ballsy ballsy play. Yeah, and and I think it's too risky because you are look. I, I see it your way too. But I'm time. just saying he made the play. Just the true. time alone. Like I'd rather have Caleb Williams with the ball in his hand than a guy. That's that, fair. Yeah. Um, Ken was saying hindsight is you know what like. Um, we said it wasn't hindsight. We weren't saying we're not saying this afterwards. We were saying it as this was happening. Like you yeah. should be calling timeout. So that wasn't hindsight, Ken. Sorry. And you think it? You think a an offensive minded head coach, while it is a vote of confidence for Alex Grinch's defense to not call timeouts when they're on the goal line, you think an offensive coach would think if I call the timeouts now and our defense stops them, I'm confident in in Caleb and the offensive line and Travis Die to get 10 yards and ice the game. Or 100%. I'm confident, maybe they're not confident in Andy Sleep Dalton punting out of the end zone for the first time with the game on the line in Salt Lake City. But you would think that he would be confident enough to gain those 10 yards, even if they're at the one-yard line. Like, And if you get the punt off, I mean, the game's pretty much over because Utah would still need to come back and score a touchdown using all their timeouts most likely. So... I, that's one where, you know, yes, they didn't cover Dalton Kincaid. That's something they, they could have done, but that's, I mean, Dalton Kincaid being a great player. USC should have been calling timeouts at the yeah. end. Yeah, I, I always look at this from, look at your, what would your opponent want? You know, like sometimes people do things, you're trying to outsmart things. You're like, and you're actually doing what your opponent would prefer. Like if you're like, hey, what would what would Kyle uh, Whittingham want? He's like, well, I'd rather them not use their timeout so their offense doesn't have a lot of time. Like he would prefer, he would wouldn't have liked if USC called timeouts. And USC sort of accommodated what the opponent, you know, the opposing coach wanted. So when you're doing that, when you're doing what your opponent wants, you know, that's when I would question it. All right, we've got some questions that we yeah. can get to. Let's uh, get some questions. No let's start with this. We've got three calls. I guess we can go to calls first and then questions. Okay, yeah. We'll go from uh, Dave from Iowa. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Sorry. I uh, just want to say I I, I didn't. Uh, I've been listening to the show. Uh, I, or sorry, uh, I went to a party, so haven't been really listening to the show. But I got two questions for you. One. All right. We gave up four sacks, and we didn't get any sacks. So clearly, line of scrimmage is is a big issue. One. Here's an observation. I find it pretty interesting that out of all the Oklahoma players, no offensive lineman or defensive lineman transferred to USC. Doesn't that say something about Lincoln Riley and his thought process when talking when uh, talking about the line of scrimmage? And two, you guys were talking about timeouts. How come Lincoln Riley or you know Alex Grinch didn't, didn't call a timeout after Kincaid made a big made a big play sometime in the second half to just hey calm the defense down, regroup and address the situation and go from there. I'm just curious because, hey, we lost by one point, but there was still one timeout. Could have used it at some point, right? What are your thoughts? Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with using a timeout just to, like, calm the defense down the middle. I would have liked it to stop the clock to give the offense more time. Like, you know, you did go – you ended the game with an extra timeout. You certainly could have used that and, and preserved some time. And uh, I don't – it's, I don't think it means anything if a player, if a, a certain position group didn't transfer. He got three transfers from Oklahoma. You know, it wasn't. And the they f- retained their offensive line coach. Yeah. Who we thought was going to join him. Yeah. If Bill Beanbach come over, came over, then you might get uh, somebody else. And know? I believe his initial defensive line coach, Kane, was that his name? Yeah, he was going to, and they ended up at LSU, LSU, I think. Yeah. For more so you money. didn't get a position coach from either one of those groups, you know. Um, and you had four offensive line starters returning at USC. So there's there's some of that. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be. This is an indication of Lincoln Riley because he didn't get a, tra- a certain transfer. They they've done really well in the transfer market. So I wouldn't uh, be critical there. Also, right. what party is he at on a Sunday? Yeah, happy happy party time. Sunday night football party, I guess. Watching your Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. All right, we've got uh, another call from Allen in St. Louis. Hi, Allen. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey guys, thanks for taking the call. Um, I know we've been talking about the importance of going to the Big Ten for having more competent officiating, but I also was just thinking about the reaction after the game from national media and how if we were in a better conference or played in a better time slot, that this team could actually have a better chance of potentially playing the championship game or a playoff game. Because, you know, to be honest, it doesn't seem like many people saw you know, those bad roughing the passer call, calls, not, not a lot of people are going to know that Addison was out for, you know, the most important parts of the game. 
that we were down two starting linebackers. But if you watch the SEC game, like if you're watching the Tennessee versus Alabama game, all all I heard all game and even after the game was how Tennessee was out, you know, three of their cornerbacks or all the adversity that they were facing on offense and defense, et cetera, throughout the game. But it's just one of those things where it's just going to end up on a scoreline and a bunch of AP voters will just see the end scoreline and say, oh, USC lost on the road in their first big road test. So, you know, they're pretenders. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what, what you thought about, you know, moving to another conference would do to, to mitigate stuff like this in the future. Thanks. I mean, this was a primetime game. This wasn't practical after dark. It was nationally televised Fox. And a lot of the, there were great games on Saturday. Most of them were early. You know, what was Clemson, Florida State maybe going yeah. up against this one? If you wanted rank versus rank, this was the one you were watching. So I saw I, national media tweeting about it. Like, yeah. great one on Fox. Yeah. Tune in. So I think this was not a case of that. Uh, this was actually a pretty good one, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know if that would be. Uh, in, in USC is still going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, they can. We talked about, like, what the, the rest of the season is. Like, there's, I guess there's a scenario where USC wins out and doesn't you know, go to the Pac-12 championship game, but it seems like pretty far. It's pretty much USC has their destiny in their hands. If they went out, they're mostly, you know, 99% they're going to be playing for the Pac-12 championship. In some weird scenario, there might be a situation where that doesn't happen. Um, I haven't checked it for sure, but, and, you know, outside chance of still, you know, getting into the college football playoff, which I don't, that's, I don't think that should be the goal anyway. It's just one of those things where they're not out of it either. Like, you know, Oregon might be just because they got absolutely curb stomped. But at the end of the year, when you're like, okay, they lost on the road by one point on a two point conversion that they led the whole game, uh, you know, it's, I, you can explain that away. So I think USC, Pac 12, Big 10, they would get the benefit of the doubt on that anyway. Um, but you, you know, you, your resume might be a little bit better if you had the Michigans and Penn States and, and Ohio States on your resume and you were getting wins there, where, you know, Colorado, Stanford, and, Arizona, you're not going to get as much credit for those. I think if you're talking about maybe not talking about just the Big Ten, but you look in the SEC, Alabama allowed 52 points, Tennessee allowed 49. You're not hearing very much talk from the national media about is Alabama's defense even good? Like, you know, do they need to fire their defense coordinator? No, it's like, oh, this was a great SEC battle. So I think that's kind of where the line will get drawn with USC and the Big Ten. Like, if Michigan Penn State yesterday was a 43 42 win, I don't think you'd have many people questioning the defenses in that game as they are against USC. And you'd say, say Michigan won 43 to 42. The national media would most likely be saying, Michigan's offense is such a powerhouse. Look at them get this gutsy performance win instead of, how did USC allow 43 points to Utah? Like, I think you just get a little bit more respect when you're in the Big Ten or the SEC as opposed to the, the Pac-12 or even maybe the Big 12. Hot um, since 91 on there. So let's talk about this. So he's saying that if UCLA wins this weekend, USC's in trouble. USC still plays UCLA. So are you assuming that UCLA, USC loses to UCLA? Because if USC beats UCLA, then you have the head-to-head tiebreak, right? So... Um, they would have a loss. USC would have one loss. So USC would get in over UCLA. I'm not sure what the argument is there, um, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. But it's just, you know, what what's the scenario? Like, because USC still plays UCLA, they have their own, they can control that because they can beat UCLA. Utah still goes to Eugene and play. So two people are playing. USC doesn't play Oregon, and both UCLA and Utah play in Eugene. So that's tough, you know. Um, I think the scenario would be like if, if Utah beats Oregon and they have one loss and Utah still has one loss and USC has one loss. USC doesn't play Oregon, but already lost to Utah, but Utah would also have beaten Oregon. There's some weird kind of scenario like that. You lost me. 
Yeah, no, yeah, there's a lot. But, but USC still gets to play UCLA. So if you're assuming that USC loses UCLA, but if you're talking about controlling your own destiny, that means you win. You beat UCLA. Um, they have at least one conference loss. You have one conference loss, and you've beat them head-to-head. So they would not win a tiebreaker uh, in that scenario, unless there was some kind of weird three-way one. And, uh, you know, look at that. I think if, if USC wins out and they don't lose another Pac-12 game, you can be pretty confident as a USC fan that they will be in the Pac-12 They'll be in the top game. two somewhere. It yeah. will work out differently some ways, depending on what Oregon, Utah, and UCLA do. But if you beat UCLA and you don't slip up against Arizona or Colorado or Cal, you're most likely going to the Pac-12 championship game. They, let's get into some questions, and I guess this one's kind of right on the money. Andrew had a question. Do you think this team has the resolve to bounce back and win out? Yes, I do based on, I think, the emotion that we saw after this loss and kind of the things they were kind of circling around, what they said they talked about in the locker room after this. And, you know, the emotional leaders they have on the team, Eric Gentry, Travis Dye, Caleb Williams, I think they're in a really good position to take the emotional response they've had to this loss, channel it, use it, as Travis Dye said, fuel to the fire for these guys moving forward. It is a weaker schedule, you know, UCLA game notwithstanding. And they could just bully some teams and be refocused and energized and, frankly, a little pissed off moving forward. And I believe Lincoln Riley has gone through this before at Oklahoma where he's had multiple teams start out undefeated, take a close loss, and then run the table at the end and win win the Big, Ten, Big 12 championship. So it, Lincoln Riley knows the blueprint. Blue, blueprint, excuse yes. me. He's done it before. He has some uh, a lot of good leaders on this team, and I think they're really going to use this loss, this one-point loss, into the back half and, as Travis died, fuel to the fire. And I'm I'm confident they can do that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're getting a lot of games at home. You're getting a road game against UCLA, which for USC is, is basically a home game. Road game. You get Notre Dame at home. You're going to Arizona. It, going to Arizona. Is that the last That's, road trip on the schedule? Yeah, you say it will be a neutral Pretty site much, at, yeah. at worst. So, yeah, their next game after the bye will be at Arizona, which is a little bit feisty, which is a little bit feisty, but still would expect them to roll in that one. All right, I've got another uh, question uh, from YouTube. Was Corey Foreman benched again? And I'll group this with a couple of questions because we saw a, an, an interesting change in some of the snaps for certain players. It seemed like Brendan Rice wasn't getting as much run. We saw Corey Foreman go from not playing a couple weeks ago to playing last week to, it seemed like, again, I don't know the official stats, but no snaps again for Corey Foreman. So I don't know what you, guys, what you guys saw. I saw him but... come in. He had, he had a couple of snaps. Yeah, I yeah. saw him come in. Uh, at least once. I know he did did play, but that also could be because you know they moved Nick Figueroa to that Russian spot. So that's an extra guy at the Russian with Solomon Bird. It just looked like Corey Foreman was the odd man out with that rotation because they were using a lot of Nick Figueroa, and then Solomon Bird to supplement him. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got another question. With this well timed bye week, what changes do you anticipate on defense? That's a good question. We saw Colorado change their head coach and they completely changed their defense. I don't think USC is doing something like that, but like they like, they changed their front. There's like more of a four, four thing. They added like a robber position uh, and they look way better. They were giving up 49 yards or 49 points or 48 points a game in, in conference. And then they shut down Cal uh, for the most part. Um, so it can, you can see big changes in the, in the uh, bye week. I don't think USC is going to be doing that. The level of competition is going to go down. Um, 
I think they're going to be working on tackling quite a bit. Uh, that'll be probably the number one thing. Uh, but this is sort of like a unique scenario. The next thing they're going to have to worry about uh, as far as like just explosive offenses like that with mobile quarterback and, uh, you know, tight ends, tight ends and a big receiver like Bobo is UCLA. So um, we'll see kind of what they try to fine tune. But I think I think tackling is where they're going to look at. This bye week is where you kind of take the time to self-scout yourself and look at your tendencies and things that, hey, we did this really good in the first half of the season. We sucked at this. We're kind of in the middle here. Let's kind of get it better. So this week will be a big self-scout, especially for the defense. And, you know, I think they need to do a little bit of soul-searching, especially how they cover bigger tight ends, as we as we saw. They do have some smaller safety players. You know, Jalen Smith's not huge. Max Williams, not huge. And they do have some interesting linebacker prospects uh, on the roster. They are banged up at linebacker. Maybe they'll experiment a little bit more, getting those guys some, you know, Chris Thompson. I know a lot of people were clamoring for him. He's a former safety, moved into a linebacker. Rajon Davis, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a guy who has excellent coverage skills and could play. was playing cornerback out in uh, at modern day. So great coverage skills. Maybe they'll try to, you know, move those guys along and maybe get them a part of the rotation in the back half, especially with some weaker teams coming up, get them some more experience for, for bigger games against you know, UCLA or and possibly whatever happens in the Pac-12 championship, assuming they make it there. So maybe get some more of those speedier, smaller coverage linebackers, uh, some some action. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we've got. We're just coming out uh, about the hour mark. Do you guys have any final thoughts about the USC-Utah game? Yeah, I would say I know that USC fans are conditioned for, like, everything this guy is falling, everything's the worst, this is going to be terrible because of – well, the season's over, right? Yeah, the season's oh, yeah. over. Yeah, let's, just, cool. let's just wrap it up. Fire Lincoln Riley. Like, we <laughs> saw the one person that was like, Clay Helton was better than Lincoln Riley. Like, there were some really dumb takes. Clay Helton yeah. did beat a ranked team this week. All right, Jackson. Yeah, I'm that's, getting, I'm I'm I can't. this is going to be a really fun. Um, I got to do my uh, Orbiting Your Exes feature this week because you got uh, Jackson Dart, Brew McCoy yeah. having a huge game against Alabama. Chase, Chase McGrath. McGrath. How did that kick? How did, first of all, how did he kick it like that and how did it go in? Winning, beating Alabama on his leg at the end. The former, you know, I remember I was spoken at a class at USC, like one of Jeff Fellinger's class, and he was in there when like USC was terrible. It might have been like the five and seven season or something. And all the students were asking me questions about like how terrible everybody is and all this stuff. And you felt bad because there was a couple players in the class. Chase McGrath was one of them. I think it was when he was hurt too. So he had like, he was like on, on crutches or something. And we talked after afterwards. Texas after that Texas yeah. After, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Kudos for him. He's a great kid. You're happy. You're happy for him. Clay Helton. I know a lot of not a lot of people like him, but you know him to get a, a, a win over a ranked opponent. Beat Nebraska. Beat a ranked team. They lost to some bad teams too. But um, so it'll be a fun X's thing. But I think at the the USC fans are sort of conditioned for this. But when you look at it, you take a step back and look. This is an ideal loss. If there's such a thing as an ideal loss, like you couldn't have drawn up a loss any better. And you were a four and eight team last year that is now six and one and one of the favorites to go to the Pac-12 championship. This was, you know, when we saw last year, Oregon go into uh, Rice Eccles and get curb stomped, you know, and then you're like, well, maybe it's different when they play in Las Vegas because there was a huge crowd, a Utah crowd in Las Vegas. And I was at both, you know, I was at that one and they got curb stomped again. This was USC going into the hornet's nest where everybody loses and 
should have won and was really close to doing it. If you were going to play Utah tomorrow in, in Las Vegas, USC is a favorite. Like, it's, you know, so this is not a terrible scenario for USC as far as the loss left goes. So I would just say this is going to be a fun season. It's been fun so far. You've won six games. You got some easy wins coming up. A uh, couple tough, you know, rivalry games. You're probably going to be able to get a win against Notre Dame that doesn't look very good. They're struggling. Like anytime you can beat Notre Dame, that's good. Even if you lose to UCLA and you go at ten and two, is like pretty darn good if you get a win over UC over Notre Dame. And you have a you know a decent shot at going like eleven and one and winning out. So I would just enjoy it. Like yeah, okay, sucks to lose, whatever. But at the end of the day, this is kind of what you want. You wanted this team to be nationally relevant. You want them to be competitive. It'll be fun. You know, this is a you know, watching Caleb Williams do his thing. If you're not having fun doing that, holy cow, some of the stuff he's doing is just absolutely mesmerizing. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time here. It's a bye week. Kind of sit back and go, all right, coming into it, you know, get some beatdowns on some Colorados and some some cows and go forward, have the rivalry games, and then let the chips fall where they may. If you're so worried about every you know tiebreaker scenario of these, you know, don't worry about that stuff. Enjoy this season. It's going to be fun. We only get 12 of these a year, right? We only get 12 of these games. Have some fun with it because it's much more fun to watch this team than any team you've seen in the past several years. Me personally? All of it. <laughs> oh, the Rose Bowl team. My little kind rant of, there. Rose Bowl team was kind of fun. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. But they start off one and three. Fair enough. Fair that enough, wasn't very fun enough. to go like, to get curb stomped by Alabama. Yeah, that's the difference. I mean, that USC team didn't make the playoffs and they had three losses, but one of them was a terrible beatdown by Alabama. The, uh, not going to say USC is going to make the playoff, but if they're in a position, CFP committee is not looking at this season like they did that one where USC didn't lose. What was that one? Fifty-two to six, I think it was. Something like that. This one was a one-point loss on the road at, a, at Utah. Yeah, and that team was scratching at the college football playoff a little bit. If yeah. you remember towards With the three end, three losses. Yeah, yeah they were like... scratching just at the end after that Washington win. That was uh, the last road win over a uh, ranked team, Washington. I was up there for that one in Seattle. Me too. Yeah. Fun one. We weren't on the same team then. We were competitors. Uh, everything he said, take a step back, take a deep breath. It'll be okay. Season's not over. Uh, I think this team is going to be pissed during the back half of the season, which I think is a good thing, and I think it'll be fun. So, yeah, just take a deep breath. Yeah. That, that was great what Riley was talking about is how you respond to a loss. I think the players were as well. We've seen losses completely sub, you know, tank. It's like two torpedoes in your side. You're sinking. And we've seen like the Tim Tebow's like you just bounce back from a loss. Like I'm never going to, you know, we're never going to see a team fight like this, like his speech or whatever. I feel like that's what's going to happen here. It's like this was sort of like smelling salts. It's like, yeah. I thought USC learned a lot from the win over Oregon State. That's why I thought they played well on the road here. I think they can learn a lot from this loss as well. Uh, going forward and where you would learn would be when you play UCLA. So mm -hmm. we saw improvement off of a win from Oregon State, which I think that's a really good sign. Now you're going to have to see improvement from this when you play UCLA. And uh, if they can do that, I think that's a sign of good coaching where you're growing from near mistakes like Oregon State and then you know actual mistakes like Utah. 
And it's a and it's pressure taken off the shoulders of Lincoln Riley, pressure taken off the shoulders of Caleb Williams, where you were undefeated, now you've got a loss, and you can play with with. Other, there's a lot less to lose when you're already six and one, as opposed to you're seven and zero, then you're eight and zero. It's like the undefeated season is still riding. There's a lot of pressure, especially from Caleb Williams. So you can see the emotion where he hates to lose, and now I think he can go out there uh, and, and rip it. And I, uh, you know, I, I think I agree that. There's a very good chance USC ends up 11-1. and one. They get a bye, which I don't know what our schedule is going to be on the bye, but it's going to be a week where to just kind of sit back. I think USC fans can can take a little mental health break, not yell at the TV for the refs, <laughs> no, just not, not stress about anything, and just take the bye week. And then there's some games on the back half of this schedule where USC can, I think, have a little bit more fun. Yeah, i got to go back and watch it. I heard a lot of people talk about like Brock Heward, I guess, was Ooh. really critical of the officiating. He said, he said, and I quote, he said multiple things. He said that Tom Brady wouldn't have liked that call. <laughs> Tom Brady is infamous for getting all of the roughing the passer calls. And he said something along the lines of, I got hit harder than that in junior high school on a roughing the passer call. He was, he was livid. Wow. Okay. I have to go, go get, him on, get him on the uh, podcast of champions. That'll be good. Yeah. Give him as a former Washington quarterback, right? Awesome stuff. It. Well, good stuff, everybody. Uh, yeah, thank you. We're not. We're probably not going to do a Thursday show just because there's no game to preview. I know we didn't do uh, one the last couple of weeks. I know I've been out of town a lot. Jack's back on the. He's playing injured, but he's got his voice back mostly now, so it's good to hear him uh, back there. I guess we'll have to wait and see for Sunday show. We, we're not sure what the media availability is yet this week, so we'll find out what that is. If practice schedules to be normal, maybe they'll do some different practices. We might have a weekend practice or something. I'm not sure. We don't know what the bye week for Lincoln Riley is going to be like. So we'll kind of, you know, stay tuned to uscfootball.com uh, for all that. But at, at worst case, we will have a preview show a week from Thursday. And then, of course, you know, recap um, after that. But, yeah, that's it. Um, I really appreciate everyone coming in. There's a lot of people in the chat, a lot of people watching live. So thank you for all that. And uh, thanks, Chris, for battling this out. Jack, fighting through injury. Rub some dirt on those vocal cords. And uh, we're back, baby. We're back. Bye week. Going forward. They're going to make a run. So be, be happy, USC fans. You should be. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If. Ready PG.